Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast, the podcast that will help you find solutions for your weight concerns that will last a lifetime. Together, for you. Welcome to the Weight Solutions for Physicians podcast. I'm your host, Siobhan Key. I am a weight loss coach for physicians who are struggling with their own weight, as well as a family physician and obesity medicine physician. This week, I have an exciting guest on, Brian Lenskis from the Low Carb MD podcast is with me, and uh, we did a great interview talking about his experience with low carb, as well as some tips that he's garnered over all the different interviews he's done on his own podcast. Uh, I think you'll really enjoy it, so stick around. Uh, But first, I wanted to say I've had a fantastic weekend. I've had a lot of fun. Uh, It's been my twin's birthday this weekend, and so we've had a lot of different activities. But I've also gotten things done that I enjoy, like I went for a trail run with my husband and a couple friends. This morning, I went out mountain biking with my twins, which is really enjoyable because this is the first year they're actually mountain biking on trails with us. Uh, And so it was really fun. And then we had their birthday party today and I was in the pool with the kids and going down the water slide and just had a lot of fun. And the reason why I bring this up is because I've had a lot of summers where I haven't really had fun. I've had a lot of summers where I look forward to the summer, but then get so wrapped up in everything that I have to get done that I forget to actually do the things that I enjoy that make summer fun for me. And that's why I want you to join me in my best summer ever group coaching program that's going to start next week. Uh, I've designed this program for anybody who finds it hard to fit themselves in during those busy summer months. As we all know, summer is a little bit different than the other months because schedules get kind of turned around. Uh, There's different stuff that we feel we should be doing. And it's really easy for us to end up at the bottom of our to-do list or get put on the back burner and just never get the things done that we want to do. And I don't think that's very good self-care. That that ends up with us at the end of summer looking back at it going, oh, well, that was busy. <laughs> and what I want for you this summer is to get through summer and look back and go, that was awesome. That was so much fun. I really enjoyed myself and I got everything that I wanted to do done. And so this coaching group is a little bit different than my one-on-one coaching because it's not just about weight. Uh, We will talk about staying on track with eating and exercise and whatever your particular goals are, but we are also going to talk about stress management, time management, uh, self-care, and things like that, that all come together to make this summer amazing. Now, if you've never tried out life coaching in some form, I think this is a perfect opportunity for you to give it a try. Uh, Because it's a group coaching program, the price is lower than if you were to hire me for one-on-one coaching. And I think there's going to be a lot of fun in the group, just being with like-minded colleagues working on similar stuff. Uh, And the things that we will be doing in the group are going to be quite lighthearted, quite easy. Uh, So I really encourage you to uh, join me. The address to click on, and I'll put it in the show notes, is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash summer. I know some of you out there might be going, what is coaching and why do I need that? And all I can say is I really credit uh, coaching in different forms to be why I'm where I am today. 
it was life coaching that got me through a period of burnout. Uh, It's various types of coaching that have gotten me to the point where I was able to lose my weight. Um, It's ongoing coaching that's helping me continue going with uh, all these new things that I'm doing with the podcast and everything else. And so again, if you've never had a chance to experience coaching and how it can add to your life, this summer program is a perfect opportunity. It's short. It's only six weeks. Uh, As I said, the price is lower than if you were to hire me one-on-one for one of my bigger packages, Uh, but you'll still get to experience all those benefits. So again, the website is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash summer. Along those lines, I am doing a webinar that's free uh, about the top three pitfalls of summer that I see people experience um, and how to avoid them. This is focused on weight loss. Uh, It is on Tuesday, June 11th. So depending when you're listening to the episode, you may have missed it. Uh, But if you haven't yet, go over and register for it and join me live. You can ask me questions live uh, and interact with me, which will be fun. The website for that to register for that is weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca forward slash summer dash webinar. So regardless how you go about it, let's all just make a plan of having an amazing summer this summer. Relax, enjoy ourselves, make time for ourselves still get our work done, but make it amazing. All right, let's get on with the interview with Brian. And now a quick break to review a disclaimer. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss for physicians. I am not providing medical advice and listening to this podcast does not create a physician patient relationship. This podcast does not replace the need for consultation with a licensed professional and no information should be relied upon unless you have obtained specific advice or treatment from myself or another physician. Please review the terms and conditions located at www.weightsolutionsforphysicians.ca before continuing. And now, back to the episode. So my guest today is Brian Lenskis. He and Tro are the hosts of Low Carb MD Podcast, which is a fantastic podcast if you haven't listened to it. Every week they have other physicians on that are using low carb um, approaches with their patients and they talk about their successes and uh, what things are challenges as well as the science. Um, it's a great listen if you haven't listened before. Brian can also be found at the lowcarbadvisor.com website where he offers some advice and coaching about living a low carb lifestyle. Brian is an internal medicine physician working in San Diego, California. All right, here we go. All right. Thanks for coming on the show, Brian. How are you today? Siobhan, thank you so much for having me on. Having a great day. It's good. It's Friday. I'm out of the office. Just did a podcast myself, and now I get to take it easy. And, and uh, you know, I've really been listening to your podcast and really enjoying it, trying to pass the word around. And your oh, podcast with us actually is coming out today. Or, that's or exciting. People and then on Monday. And, yeah, it was really great. I just listened back, and I really, really enjoyed it. Learned a lot from you, and I appreciate it. Oh, that's good. It's always, you know, after you do one of those, I'm like, did I sound okay or did I uh, <laughs> No, you were awesome. ramble on and on? <laughs> no, it's usually us. We, Tro and I get in trouble for rambling on. We like to pick on each other and have a fun time. But, you know, it's, it's been a great, great journey. As you know, you come across a lot of great people. You learn a lot. And I think we're all on a road to learning and, and saying, hey, how do we help our patients? You know, and that's what yeah. you're doing up there. And, and we're trying to do the same thing down here. And, you know, so it's an exciting journey and we're learning along the way and, and not being 
learning not just to be uh, dogmatic, you know, to mm-hmm. say, what is helping that patient in front of me? What are their struggles? What are my struggles? And, and, and then just kind of going from there. Yeah, which is awesome. So how about we start with you um, telling us kind of how you personally found out about low carb and got into it? Yeah, you know, I struggled with weight my entire life. So, you know, being a kid, you know, overweight as a kid, my mom gained a bunch of weight when she was pregnant with me, which I think is a contributing factor for a lot of people. Um, Grew up playing football, you know, always struggling to make the weight requirements to be under, you know, and then played football in high school. And I was one of the shorter guys. So I had to bulk up a lot. So I was lifting weights, eating a lot. And so you gain weight, I was up to around 205 back then. And then I wrestled, so I'd have to get down to 165. So I would just start you know, you, and you do it the wrong, you're just starving yourself and running and spitting and just getting totally dehydrated and doing whatever you can to lose that weight because you have to do it in a quick time. But yeah. you're also losing muscle mass, as you know, and then we get into this problem of, you know, you lose the weight, then boom, you start gaining weight. So after high school, I just started consistently gaining weight, gaining weight. And then, um, you know, during college, and then you have med school and the pressures of med school, and everyone takes a study break and eats. And so food becomes your relaxation time. Right. And then during residency, you start thinking, oh, I better eat something because if I don't, I'm going to be hungry. So I'll eat now. And then two hours later, we have a break. And then you say, oh, let's take another eat. You know, let's eat again just in case. And then, you know, the next day you're sleep deprived and hungry all day. You eat more. So a lot of docs, we have a very terrible lifestyle. As you see at Grand Rounds, they have donuts and bagels and orange juice and all this stuff. And and so we're constantly exposed to that in the in the doctor's lounge. You're grabbing terrible food. So I just continued gaining weight, gaining weight, gaining weight. I worked out consistently. I was never lazy. Whenever I had time, I was at the gym or running or, or going for a hike or doing something active. I enjoyed that. And my weight kept going up because very similar to what you were saying too, the same kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Think, well, if I exercise more and eat less, I should be losing weight. So I got it. That's what we were taught. Yeah. And ultimately <laughs> I got into doing you know green juicing in the morning at 10 o'clock. I'd have a snack. I'm doing all this stuff to keep my metabolism going. And thinking I'm going to burn more calories, but I kept gaining weight, even though I was doing all the right stuff by what the guidelines are telling us, right? You know, never skip breakfast, eat five times a day, keep the the machine running. And I was gaining weight thinking, man, there's something wrong with me. So I thought, you know, should I do a liquid diet? Should I do this and that? And and so I was kind of looking around and uh, how things work. One of my patients rolled in and he, I looked at him and and I was concerned. I thought, "Uh oh, this guy's, there's something wrong with him. He's lost 40 pounds since I saw him last time. I said, is this scale right? He said, yeah. I said, what are you doing? He's out. You're going to get mad at me. I'm not going to tell you. And I said, no, no, tell me. I'm curious. And he said, I do this thing called the fast diet. And I said, oh, no. If you do fast diets, you know, and meaning I was thinking when he said fast, I I thought me lose weight quickly. And I thought it was going to be a grapefruit thing where you drink coffee and grape juice, you know, grapefruit juice. But he goes, no, you know, Doc, it's weird. He said, I got scared too because I lost weight so quickly. He said, the fast diet, basically what he was doing is this 5-2. He was fasting two days a week, five days a week. He was eating whatever he wanted. And I said, well, you're eating pizza and you're drinking beer and doing all that stuff. And he says, yeah. He says, it's weird. I'm still losing weight. He said, but the weird thing is uh, when I fast on Tuesday, I'm not that hungry on Wednesday anymore. And it's weird to me because I should be, I know I can eat whatever I want. Because I was thinking, well, if you fast on Tuesday, you're going to double what you're eating on Wednesday type thing. Mm-hmm. He said, no, it's weird. I eat less on the days after a fast. I'm not that hungry. And I thought, that's weird. So I go to, to YouTube, the, where all doctors go to learn, <laughs> and I'm looking up intermittent fasting and what's his alternate day fasting, and then I, I come across a guy named Jason Fung, who's been a mentor and a friend of mine now up in Canada, Toronto. Uh, he runs the IDM program up there, and I thought, oh, this guy's going to be a nutty doc. He's going to sell something at the end. So I watched his whole interview with the guy, and I'm like, wow, this guy makes sense. 
it makes sense what he's saying. He said, when you're fasting, you're dropping your insulin level down, you get more insulin sensitive. He starts talking about this whole deal because I, I thought fasting was crazy, you know? And, and so I thought, wow, this guy's kind of makes sense. And at the end, the, the interviewer asked him, well, fasting's so great, how come every doctor in the world's not doing it with their patients? And, and Jason said, well, you can't make money doing fasting. I tell you not to eat. How am I going to make money on that, right? So no one's really motivated or excited about it. And most people, it's kind of like tithing at church. No one wants to talk about fasting. It's, like, it's stressful for people, and, and, and you come across as fanatical. So he said, yeah. So I, so I said, ah, man, this guy's onto something. And so I actually reached out to him and sent him an email. I said, hey, Jason, I have a question for you. All my patients are morbidly obese. Their, their insulin level is normal. Fasting insulin is normal when I check it. Why is that? And he said, well, what are you getting? I said, well, they're like at 20, 24, you know, and the normal's up to 25. Uh, and he said, Brian, less than five. You know, if they're over five, mm -hmm. they're insulin resistant and they're in trouble. And so I started looking at that. And, and so I've, I've had a lot of influences along those lines, and they all pointed to low carb. One of my guys who's a friend of mine during this whole process, you know, we went for a run one day and uh, I said, hey, you know, we should catch up. Let's go back to my house. My orange tree is ripe right now and I'll squeeze some orange juice. We'll sit and talk. And he looked at me and said, Doc, are you kidding me? You're drinking orange juice? And I said, yeah, it's fruit sugar. It's natural. I squeeze it myself. There's no chemicals. He said, that's the worst thing you can drink. I said, come on. And we got into this debate. And he said, well, doctor, what do you tell your diabetics when they get low sugar? What do you tell them to do? And I said, "Why?" Well, Tell them to drink orange juice. Well, why would you drink orange juice? Do you want to raise your sugars like crazy and spike your insulin levels? I'm thinking, wow, yeah, that makes sense, huh? Does he said, when's the last time you invited someone to your house? Because he said, how many oranges does it take to make a pitcher of orange juice? And I said, well, two bags, two shopping bags full probably. <laughs> he said, when's the last time you invited someone over and you said, you eat a bag of oranges and I'll eat a bag of oranges and we'll talk, right? Plus, you're taking all the fiber out and you're just pure sugar. And I thought, wow, that's in. So he said, you should watch... Robert Lustig, Sugar, the Bitter Truth. You know, it's on YouTube. It's free. People can check it out. And really looking at the science and what he was saying, I thought, wow, this guy's, you know, I'm going to do it. I'm going to cut my carbs. I'm going to do some intermittent fasting. I really started by cutting carbs first and um, started losing weight. You know, so I lost like 20 pounds the first month. And I'm like, man, this is ridiculously easy for me because I didn't really enjoy the stuff I was doing. I didn't really enjoy taking the time and making a green shake in the morning and, and you know, having to eat every, you know, packing my lunch and take it with me and, so now it's like, okay, I'll just fast till lunchtime or I'll do this. I, you know, so I started changing what I was doing. And I had success doing the same exercise. Mm -hmm. so, you know, so then when you start seeing that, you start lear learning. And I went to Low Carb USA here in San Diego. The only reason I went was it was close to my office. And I could just go mm -hmm. over there. And I, I sat back and I listened to people like Georgia Eid, who's a psychiatrist having success doing this. And, and um, uh, you know, Jason Fung and all these people. And I'm saying, wow, these people are having clinical success and they're benefiting their patient. And they're doing uh, something different than I've been doing for the last 15 years or, you know, 14 years of practice. And I'm feeling well personally, but it's like, uh oh, I don't want to go against the standard of care in medicine and start telling patients about it. But what's interesting when you're a doctor and all of a sudden you lose 15 or 20 pounds, people start asking, hey, doc, what are you doing? It's like, well, you know, I'm kind of doing this, but, you know, here's what I recommend, you know, low fat and blah, 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 blah. <laughs> don't and, do what I'm doing. Yeah, don't do <laughs> what I'm doing because it's working for me, but I don't want you to have success. So, I'm, <laughs> so you know, there, there's a certain amount of fear because at that time, Tim Noakes was, was going through all his stuff and yeah. learning about all these guys, Gary Fetke and what they went through. And there's a lot of people who are, are – uh, not just not willing to learn, but they're very uh, militant against you when you start saying, hey, let's try doing something different, right? Yeah. So then we have to kind of sit back and look at our results. And, and then you say, wow, this is working, you know? Yeah. And so what type of, just for people who don't, haven't listened to your podcast yet, what type of practice do you do? 
Well, I'm a, a internal medicine, so it's basically adult medicine. I take care of diabetes, hypertension, you know, you know, all life stuff, depression, anxiety, stress, you know, um, you know, basically a you know a family doc for adults, you know, 17 and over. So that's why, and so that's how the the low carb MD podcast started because. I was having personal success and I thought, man, if I'm doing it, there's gotta be other docs out there saying the same thing. And so on Twitter, there's, he's become a friend of mine now, Tro Collagen. This guy's lost 150 pounds, maintained weight loss for uh, going on four years now. And all mm -hmm. of us know you can lose weight. We all can lose weight. We could starve ourselves, we can lose weight. We could do liquid fast and just not eat anything we like and we can lose weight. But maintaining mm -hmm. weight loss is something I never did. So I saw Tro and I thought, man, this guy, and, and the thing that drew me to him really, cause he's a, he's a New Yorker hothead and you know, sometimes gets uh, uh, into arguments with people online. He just can't help himself. But the thing was the value I saw was this guy has maintained his weight loss. He turned his life around. He was the guy who was, um, you know, he couldn't get on the airplane. He had to have a seat extender. He was 350 pounds as a doctor. And so mm -hmm. he took a lot of heat and embarrassment and went through a lot. And I've always been overweight, but I was never really morbidly obese, but always, on the verge, right, in, in that obese category. But he really experienced, and I saw him post one time saying that he was at the gym. He now has a 32-inch waist and runs, and he's, he's very fit. But he was at the gym running on the treadmill, and two guys behind him said, man, look at that fat guy. It's embarrassing. And he thought they were talking about him, and he felt the shame, and he, and he posted this. Mm -hmm. and I thought, I like that because he hasn't forgotten where he's come from. There's a lot of experts who've never really experienced being overweight. Yeah. For me, it was one of those things. I was here in San Diego when I started getting to the low, low carb and Jason Fung happened to be in town. Brett Schur, who does the Diet Doctor podcast now, he's a cardiologist in town who's always been thin. Um, uh, and a couple other docs and they're all skinny and they've never had weight. Jason's never really had a weight problem. So mm -hmm. I was like, man, it's kind of interesting. I'm the only one who struggled with weight and I'm doing the same thing these guys are doing because they're seeing benefits in their patients. So when you step back, most doctors have never really struggled with weight. So they say, well, just eat five times a day, do what I'm doing, and you're going to be skinny. But they're talking to people who are metabolically sick, and it doesn't work right. for them. And that's where we have to change our paradigm and say, either we believe no one's listening to us, and that's why they're getting in trouble. So we have to say, are they listening? And that's why they're in trouble, right? Because we're giving yeah. bad advice. So either I have to change my advice, or we have to change something to, to get them better. Yeah, absolutely. And that's an interesting point in that um – you know, if you haven't been there and you haven't had a weight issue that you haven't been able to figure out as a physician, um, it's very easy to still keep that kind of the paradigm of the blame on the patient, right? Like, oh, it's not my advice that's the problem. It's just they must not be following it. They must not be compliant. Um, and yet, when you've actually walked the walk and you've tried the advice and realized it didn't work and this works better, it makes it a lot easier to be compassionate towards other people that are going through the same stuff. Exactly. And that's why what you're talking about, what we're all, you know, when I first heard about food addiction, Rob Seifus was talking about, I mean, I've heard about it before, but anyone who explained it in a, in a great way, and he said, look, it's an addiction. It's not a food. It's a, it's a drug. And then we got into a long discussion about that. And he made his point and really changed my views on that. Um, and, it, and it really does come to bear when you start understanding, look, people understand, like Rob Seifus, his story is he lost 90 pounds doing low carb. This mm. guy's one of the smartest guys. He's a bariatric surgeon, you know, well-trained, understands physiology, and he loses 90 pounds. But three times during his journey, he gains back 30 pounds. The reason being? He's a carb addict. 
But he said, yeah. once I have one carb, I it's just like an alcoholic. If we, we don't think about food in the way as we do other drugs, uh, we say, hey, everything in moderation. But you wouldn't say an alcoholic who came off alcohol after you know, being an alcoholic for 20 years, you don't say, well, I'll just have a beer every day because everything in moderation. You say, look, don't drink. Because once you have one beer, it lowers your inhibition to have that next beer, right? Yeah. And then you go down and you're a disaster. Now, there are people, rare, but there are some people who can give up alcohol and say, okay, they tell their husband or wife, look, give me one drink and that's it. I won't ask for more. And that's what, you know, I'll have one glass of wine. And they, and they manage it that way. And it works for them. But other people have one glass and then they say, ah, oh, I'm not listening to you. Give me another glass. I want that. And then they're a disaster for a month. So those people just can't. Mm -hmm. So I think it's an individual thing. That's one thing we've learned on the podcast is some people, you know, quitting smoking, for instance, some people just throw it in the garbage and walk away and go, I'm done. That's it. Other people say, Oh, I just can't give it up right now. Let me cut back to half a pack instead of a pack. And then we'll slowly go down over time. And that works for them. So understanding obesity and diabetes as an addiction model, um, it, I think it gives us more compassion too. And we all know it's bad for us. You don't need to lecture me like that being, you know, hundred pounds overweight is bad for you. We all know that, but mm -hmm. how do I get out of this, this addiction that I'm in? And, and that's where we can really help people because uh, there's a lot of psychology involved, anything, you know, if, if we give a drug to a patient and say, Oh, this probably isn't going to help you, but let's try it anyways. The chance of that drug helping them is very low. But if I say, you know what, I've had 30 patients in a row who've responded to this and have done great and their depression got better. Then we've given them hope and we have clinical experience that it's helping. And with low carb, I'm seeing that where I feel comfortable saying, look, let's cut out I mean, I, I don't see the controversy anymore with the you know, American Diabetes Association now saying low carb is a treatment option. Oh, totally. Yeah. It's just saying, hey, look, now we have to ride out the storm. A lot of these guys, and I just talked to Jason about that, Jason Fung, and I said, Jason, uh, you know, when you first started, everyone thought you were nuts. Everywhere you went, they were just after you. Now they're saying you're right. You know, mm -hmm. what kept you going? And he said, because I couldn't stand as a doctor watching people get sicker and sicker and me not doing something about it. I can't just do the standard of care and just keep saying, eat whatever you want and I'll give you more and more insulin. And that mindset mm -hmm. is still rampant in our, in our community, as you know. And it's hard because we, we focus on getting the sugars down rather than taking care of the patients. And one thing yeah. I, I realized that was interesting along those lines, I was doing a talk on de-escalation of medicines. Us docs aren't good at it. We're good at throwing more and more meds on, but taking it off, I don't know how to stop blood pressure meds and diabetes meds and all that. It's scary to us because, you know, we're protected when we throw more drugs on because at least we're doing something. Right. Uh, and so when you start understanding, wow, a lot of these drugs for diabetes, the, the um, FDA says, look, it doesn't have to show survival benefit. All it has to show is that it lowers sugar levels. And so, okay, do I feel better about lowering, lowering your sugar levels if I'm killing you in the process? Right. Mm -hmm. That's when we have to start rethinking things and saying, wait a minute, what's in your best interest? Yeah, absolutely. And it, you know, the stuff you're talking about, about food addiction is interesting because um, it's just not talked that much about. And one of the most popular episode on my podcast, I think is my, I think it was episode four where I interviewed, interviewed Dr. Vera Tarman on food addiction. Yeah. She's a Toronto addiction specialist. And that seem to resonate with so many people. And I think partly because it's just not talked about. Like, Absolutely right. Yeah, that's it. People don't talk about it of understanding. Why do I binge eat? Like people, they just say, let's treat the binge eating not mm -hmm. say, what is it that urge to binge that's causing it? What do I do with that urge? You had a great podcast. I really, really loved it. As a matter of fact, I recommended a couple of my patients yesterday to listen to it. Oh, nice. Yeah, it's because it's important to say, why, why is it that you binge? Why is it that when your sugar's 400, you feel the need to go and eat a gallon of ice cream? 
Because yeah. clearly that's not for nutrition. That's not for doing what's right for your body. And your discussion was outstanding um, on that because it's really important for us to understand that point. And I think that's why we're having clinical success because in the laboratory, when you lock someone in the hospital and say, okay, you're eating you know, 1500 calories a day, everyone loses weight doing that. But mm-hmm. when you're at home and you're stressed out, your, your husband just left you or your, your, your kid's sick or your, your, your husband's in the hospital or whatever happens, those stresses, what do we turn to? We turn to what's going to make us feel better for the moment. And that's going to be mostly these comfort foods, carbohydrates. And what's going to make us better in the moment and also what's so readily available. Exactly. Right? Like it's the easiest way. And that's why our brains have done that over time in our modern food culture is it's so readily available and it gives you that little dopamine hit that does make you feel better in the short term. Yeah, it does. And people turn to that and that's your drug of yeah. choice. And that's, that's why this whole journey has been so exciting for me to learn because I'm learning all the time stuff that I'm taking aback. When Robert Seifus said, no, sugar is a drug. It's not a, it's not a food. I said, well, Rob, you know I mean? It's social. People enjoy dessert because he made the, this point. He says, Brian, look, say you go to, this is before he talked about his issues, right? With, with carb addiction. Cause he said, I'll rip the, the refrigerator doors off to find ice cream. If it's in or the freezer door, if there's ice cream in there, or if there's cookies, I will find them and eat them. I don't care. I'm going to have a weak moment. And I know that just like, if someone still goes with alcohol, you don't hang out at the bar with your friends all the time. You say, okay, I'm going to go, you know, go for a hike. I'm going to do, I'm not going to be in that environment because sooner or later I'm going to blow it. Right. You know yourself, you know, if chips and salsa are your weakness, you don't go to, that's me. I don't go to Mexican food restaurants. Right. Cause I know I'm going to have chips and salsa. Or you say, you know, the last couple of times I went, I said, yeah, I don't really need it. I don't really want it. I'll sit here and talk and enjoy myself. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the whole food addiction. So he said, well, Brian, cause I said, why are you saying it's an addiction? He said, well, Brian, look, if you went to an all-you-could-eat steakhouse and you were stuffed and you couldn't eat, take another bite and you're nauseated because you ate so much, we all know that feeling. Mm-hmm. And then someone puts another steak in front of you, what do you say? You say, well, no, thanks, I'm full. Give it to someone else. Or, Give me a doggy bag for tomorrow. I can't eat another bite. But instead of that, they put your favorite dessert down and all of a sudden you say, oh, I can have a couple bites. And then boom, it's gone before you know it because you get the dopamine rush. Mm-hmm. I said, well, Rob, you know, I mean, it's social people. Do that. You know, I was kind of making the excuse. And he said, well, Brian, when's the last time you um, craved a cigarette? And I look at it, I, I don't crave cigarettes, I don't smoke. He said, well, just think if you had smoked for 20 years and you quit today, what's the only thing you think about all day? It's, it's a cigarette. You'll pick it up off the ground, you'll find someone, you'll buy one, or you'll, you'll bum a cigarette off someone because you're addicted to that substance. So skinny people or people who've never struggled with their weight look at obese people and they say, why do you eat so much? Why are you eating carbs all the time and donuts and cake and you can't pass up? To me, it's no big deal. Well, because they're not addicted to that substance, right? Yeah. Um, and, it doesn't and, have the same power. Yeah, so we, we went through this whole discussion of addiction, and, and actually it's very interesting, and, and you know, I didn't want to really go there, but I felt compelled to, is uh, Tro and I both, well, actually Tro raised the point is he's had males say that they stopped pornography while on a low-carb diet, and he said, Brian, why do you think that is? Right? I remember you guys did an episode on that. Yeah, and it was really interesting because you look at yeah. the addiction. He cr- had cross-addiction, so when he had a little bit of this, he wanted more dopamine release, and this, so it turns into all the so he went, actually, he, in his case, he went on a carnivore diet. He gave up alcohol. And after going through years of counseling, Christian guy felt terrible about pornography. It affects his marriage. And he's in a situation where he should be looking at all that. He said, oh, it's been a month and I haven't even looked at this stuff. Weird. He, he wasn't even trying that. He just said, I've had no desire. I've had no urge. So somehow cutting the carbohydrates out and the alcohol out, it just made him even, right? His, his hormones became even. So he didn't have that stress attack where he had he was more calm 
his brain. And, and we're, we're having data coming out with inflammation in the brain. You know, when you decrease inflammation, stress gets better, anxiety gets better. So we're starting to understand better why. We see it happen, but we don't understand why. Um, so this comes back to the whole point of why do can it's not about controlling calories necessarily. It's about controlling hunger. Mm-hmm. You're not hungry, you could walk through a restaurant. If you just ate a huge meal and you see people eating something you like, you say, oh, that looks good, but I'm not hungry right now, right? But some people are hungry constantly, and that's what we're figuring out more and more, that insulin's blocking the satiety hormones when it's really high. And as we get more obese, we get higher insulin levels. And this is where the intermittent fasting and all these things come into play, where being fat adapted makes a difference. And that's what's kind of exciting. We were sort of saying, wow, I have people all the time saying, yeah, I'm just not hungry. I used to be starving all the time. I'm just not hungry now. So I kind of forced myself to eat. When before, while they're eating, they're thinking about their next meal. So, and, and I've experienced the same. And, and so it's very interesting. And you can't, you can't study that in a laboratory. That is subjective and that's life, right? But totally. There's so many like real life factors in that that, you know, can be Im- impacting and hard, and hard to measure. So what do you, when you're starting somebody, so you're having the first conversation with a patient in your office, what things do you recommend or where do you start with them? Yeah, you know, I really find it's individual. It's individual based. And I, I try to assess that person and understand, look, for instance, there, Dr. Uh, Un, Un, Dr. Unwin from England, he's, he's had a great deal of success. And we were talking about that. And he says, you know, it's funny because I've had people in my office cry when you say don't eat bread. They cry, physically cry. But no, you know, the reality is no one cries if you say, okay, don't eat broccoli for a month. They say, okay, I'll just cut off broccoli. It's not a big emotional tie. But mm-hmm. if you say, don't have pizza, they're like, oh my gosh, I'm going to die, right? So generally what I tell people is like, look, some people are very hardcore and they go, look, tell me what to do and I'll do it. You know, if I can't eat bread, as a matter of fact, I have an Italian guy just recently, Italian, 78 years old with sugars in the 220, 240 range. I said, look, you can't keep going like this. We're going to, if you don't change what you're doing, we're forced to put more meds on you. And his family kind of laughed and said, he's not going to do it, doctor, you're wasting your time. I said, well, let's give it three weeks. If he doesn't, if he does it, great. And he goes, tell me what to eat, right? So this guy cuts all of it. He was having, you know, cookies for breakfast and, you know, just a biscuit and, you know, different things that weren't great. So his, he comes back three weeks later, his sugars are, and his daughter's crying when they come back, right? And, and I, I didn't know what the emotional thing was about. And the granddaughter's with him. So anyways, his sugars are now running 58, 62, 74, 80. And we had to stop meds. We had to stop his blood pressure meds because his blood pressure was a little low and his, his diabetes meds. And he goes, doc, this is the easiest thing. Why didn't you tell me this years ago? I feel great. My energy's up. And, you know, and he's 78 years old. But he realized, look, I don't want to go on insulin. He's seen the disasters that happened. He's lost only five pounds in three weeks, but yeah. his sugar's normalized. So it's not about losing 80 pounds until your sugar's normalized. It's that those five pounds are probably fat around his liver that he's breaking down because he's eating a low carb diet, right? Yeah. So he's reversing his disease process in three weeks. It's ridiculous. If I had a drug that did, if I came out with a drug like that, I'd be a multi-billionaire, right? We'd all retire. It's so, so amazing in those patients where they just, they, they click, they do it. And, and when you see such astounding changes from, like you said, not necessarily losing a ton of weight in those weeks, but just changing the diet and being able to remove, like I had one patient where in one week we got off like 60 units of insulin and uh, I think three different like Invocana and um, Glycoside, like a, a bunch of different medications in a week. Yeah, it's incredible. And, 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 and so I asked the daughter, why are you crying? Because the sugars are better. 
And she said, no, it's because I have my dad back. Because wow. now guess what he does? He used to come home and he's a singer in Little Italy. So he's a really popular, great guy. But he would come home and just be exhausted. He'd sleep on the couch. And on the weekends, he'd be watching TV and not really doing anything. She said, now he's taking my daughter, who's his granddaughter. And, and when he gets home, he'll say, hey, why don't we go for a walk? You want to go to the park? Let's go do it. And she's like, oh, he's the best grandfather in the world now. Five pounds weight loss, normalizing his sugars, but his energy's through the roof. And he said, I'm the cook in the family, so I just make what, what, I, what you told me to make, and it's easy, and I love it, right? And so he's not thinking, oh, but I missed this. I'm, his mindset was, look, I don't want to have that. And so he was motivated enough to make that change. But now yeah. the, the, his daughter said, now he's a pain because he's on the weekend. She wants to relax. He's like, hey, let's go to the park. Why don't we go do something? Like, he's full of energy. So when you see that, that's a life change, right? Because he took the steps, or he could have said, no. Nah, I love my pasta too much. I love my bread. I'm not going to change. He said, Doc, I'm never hungry. And I used to be hungry all the time. So when you see that, you say, wow, that is awesome, right? And, and like what you're saying, with those patients coming off, well, how much money is that to the system oh. that is going broke, right? Yeah. Just coming off those meds. We all know those diabetes meds are very expensive and I hate adding them on. So it's like, well, you know, the great analogy of what we're talking about is this. Rob Seibus talks about this. He says, look, and this is what I tell patients. You have a river, I mean, a, a factory that's polluting the river. So you're hiring more and more people to clean that river, hmm. right? So you can keep hiring more and more people, which are the drugs to get the sugars down, or you can shut the factory down because you're never going to be able to keep the river clean until you shut the factory down. So when yeah. you stop pumping all the sugar into the system and processed food, then all of a sudden you're, you don't need the workers anymore. So you can start laying them off. If, if you close the factory down completely. Now you don't need anyone to clean the river because the river is going to be clean on its own. And, and that's what we're talking about with sugar. We can either keep eating the carbohydrates and shooting up the insulin, or we can cut out the carbohydrates and get rid of the insulin. And the insulin is causing weight gain and obesity and, and, and cardiovascular disease. So this is where you know, medicine's at a crossroads because we're all going to fight whether it's, it's the cholesterol that's causing the heart disease or whether it's the oxidized LDL, which a lot of us believe is the, the high sugar, high insulin that we're seeing that is oxidizing the LDL into something bad that our body can't handle. 80% mm -hmm. of our LDL is made by our body in the first place. Why would it be making something to kill us? But it may be we're putting that in a bad environment that's making it toxic to our own bodies. And, and that's, right. that's an area of research that we really have to look at. And so do you have any like tips that you use in your practice for patients who are struggling? Like um, either, you know, they're doing what they feel they should be and not losing weight or they're just having difficulties adhering. Is there anything specific that you use for those? Yeah. You know, I think it's, it's going to be individualized again. You know, some people, they have to do zero tolerance. Some people have to, if your sugars are 400, why do you need more sugar in that system? So it's mm -hmm. hard. So I'll, I'll say, look, Let's start because it's overwhelming. If you say, look, you're getting a bread, pasta, rice, all this stuff you love. So look, can we cut back on if you're drinking at night, can, instead of drinking every night, can we go to every other night? Or can you do, you know, can you have, instead of four beers, have two. And then we'll, let's start there and slowly taper down. Some people, they'll go, oh, that's it, doc. You tell me, I'll give up wine, I'll give it up. So it really depends on the person. But it's very overwhelming. If I come in, it, it, the way I see it is this. Like, with intermittent fasting, is the same thing. If I come in and someone says, Hey, we're going to run a marathon. I'll think I'm not running a marathon. It's way, it's overwhelming for me. Or I do a triathlon. I'm not doing that. But they say, look, we're going to ride our bikes every day and we're going to do this and we'll slowly step up. We'll start walking and then we'll start jogging. And then we're going to, so that's what I see happens. A lot of people, uh, if you make it too hard, they're never going to do this. And that's too restrictive. I can't do it. It's too hard. Mm -hmm. I can't, you know, I can't give up bread, pasta, rice, all my family's eating that stuff. And I feel like an outcast and it's terrible. But if you say, well, let's give up the soda. One of, one of my friends, as a matter of fact, I'm seeing him tonight. Uh, his, his son had gained 40 pounds and he works at one of the best Italian restaurants in San Diego. Uh, 
and so he had gained 40 pounds. He goes, doctor, something wrong with me. Can you, can you, can I come in and get a workup done? I said, well, what do you eat? I go, I, I smell. And I said, well, I could tell what you're, why you're gaining weight, pasta, bread, rice, all this stuff. He said, I don't need any of that. And so I called his brother over and go, Hey, what does your brother eat? He said, ah, he's really healthy meat, vegetables. He doesn't eat a lot of bread hardly ever. He rarely eats pizza. It doesn't like spaghetti. Like, you're kidding me. He's gained 40 pounds in how long? About a year. I'm like, wow, that's a lot of weight to gain. So I said, Oh, alcohol. He said, I might have one or two drinks a week. And I said, well, that's not doing it. That's weird. And his brother said, well, tell me what you drink. And I said, I thought you said you don't drink. And he said, well, I drink Coke. How much? Mm-hmm. Right? I don't know. I said, what do you mean you don't know? You don't drink it? Or how do you not know? He said, well, because I set my, he's the manager. So he sets his cup on the, on the bar and the bartender sees whenever it's empty, he fills it up again. He says, it's just full all the time. I don't know how much I'm drinking. I said, oh my gosh, that's your problem. That's, that's it. That's your problem. So why don't we do this? Why don't you cut out Coke? He said, no, no, I can't. I need it for energy. I don't drink coffee. What am I going to do? And I said, well, switch over to tea for a while. And so he said, oh, gosh, okay, I'll try it. And I said, yeah, do that. So six weeks later, the guy loses 36 pounds in six weeks. Wow. One change in his life. So how dramatic was that? He goes, Bro, he goes, Doc, that was like easy. You're kidding me. That's all I had to do. Why does anyone tell me that? Well, it was a sugar load, super insulin resistant. Your, your body's going like crazy grabbing that sugar and has a storage somewhere. It's going to store as fat tissue around your liver and around, you know, you're getting more insulin resistant with that. So sometimes it's something as simple as that. I've had people just give up muffins in the morning and switch to eggs and they lose a bunch of weight, you know, where they've been plateaued for a long time or just um, figure out what they like. And, and so what I do generally, a friend of mine uh, in San Diego, who's a nutritionist, um, gave me a, a, a keto foods, right? And I've had several diet, one of my favorite diabetic guys, He's a flaky guy, party guy. You know, I never thought he'd listen. So I said, hey, look, here's a low-carb food list. And what's interesting, he became massively diabetic with a three-month sugar average of 12.9 in U.S. Uh, so it's twice the limit. At, you know, diabetes, by our standards, is six and a half is diabetes. He was at 12, right? 12.9. And so he was doing a juice fast at that time. He was losing weight, but he was totally – he was full-blown diabetes with uh, sugar of 486, so I said, look, you can't be juice fasting right now. You got to cut your carbs. So I, you know, he goes, tell me what to do. I gave him the list. And so now it's two years later, his, his, he's off all meds. His sugars have been totally normal. And he says, I don't even eat fruit at all. I don't even think about it. You know, he goes, it scares me now. But he, I said, what are you eating? He pulls out that food thing I gave him two years later. He said, I've never been a day without this in my pocket. And he goes, look, I eat this and this and this. And I look, if it's on the list, I don't eat it type thing. And it's funny because I never thought he would listen. But it scared him enough where he was motivated, where he said, that's it, I'm doing this thing, right? So I gave him yes. insulin to get him under control initially. And he said, you know, doc, I took your insulin home. and I, I made a vow I would never take it. Because I was concerned he was going to go into DKA, and diabetes, ketoacidosis. Mm-hmm. I said, we got to get, if you're not making any insulin, you're going to be in big trouble. Luckily, he was, he, his body recovered really quickly when he cut the carbs out. He just overloaded his system and his pancreas shut down. So it can be, a re- especially guys like that, when you, we catch it early, as you know, we can reverse the disease process. And mm-hmm. just this morning, I got labs back on a patient. His, he's now, his A1C is now in, in full in the diabetic range. Last year was 5.2. And I talked to him about low carb and he goes, yeah, yeah, well, I don't, I'm, I'm, in a, I'm doing a balanced diet. Now he's full-blown diabetic because he never rested his pancreas. His pancreas burned out now. Now we have to get him on meds and do this whole rigmarole. But I'm telling you, if someone's motivated and the doctor says, look, we can reverse this disease process, but we got to be serious about it. I think that's when we get people on board, right? Oh, look, we can reverse this. But if it goes too long and you burn your pancreas out, then we're kind of stuck with insulin and you're going to be shooting insulin the rest of your life. And and so, you know, being able to, to 
share our clinical experience. And I think also having more people like you, you know, this kick sugar summit that's coming out, there's 45 healthcare professionals talking about the same topic. So when you start seeing, it's not just you and I talking about this stuff, but we have mm-hmm. a lot of people out there you know, with professor Noakes and Jason Fung and, you know, trochalasia and all these people that I could list ongoing list. Um, that's why it's important. Your, your podcast and my podcast, we're reaching other doctors who are listening and saying, look, what I'm doing is not working. Let's try something different. So, and I think that what it's going to, as you know, it's going to come down to an individual thing. Some people uh, do better just saying, look, I'm cutting my cars. For instance, I, I see that this, this carnivore movement and I think, why are these guys so successful? Mental health getting better, alcoholism getting better, all these things. Is it the meat? Or is it the lack of all the other stuff? Is it cutting out all the processed stuff? Because I think, and, and you talked about this in your podcast, and I, I really think it's important, is when you decide, okay, look, I'm not going to eat cookies. I'm not going to say, should I have one? Should I just have a bite? Should I just break a piece off? When you say, look, it's not even an option, and it makes it so much easier when you say, I'm not eating that at all. So mm-hmm. a lot of us go on a low-carb diet, and people say, well, uh, I don't want to give up cookies. I don't want to give up cake. I don't want to give up pasta. I don't want to give up. So I'm going to do it all a low carb version, but we're eating a ton of carbs still. It's a lower carb version, but we still are addicted to those certain foods. There's totally. a lot to be with hyper palatability. If we, if we don't, you know, for instance, you know, when they do studies with, with mixed nuts, if they salt them or they don't salt them, the unsalted sit there forever. People have a couple and you don't get that. Oh, this is exciting. And I enjoy it. So yeah partially it's not that we have to be hermits and never enjoy stuff but saying look i enjoy this too much macadamia nuts you know i was plateaued out for a long long time and i realized it's the darn macadamia nuts whenever i'm stressed or whatever i grab a handful of those and say oh at least i'm not eating something else so when you start looking at that and rob that was another thing i didn't like what he told me and he said look snacking is always for your brain right for your your anxiety mood whatever it's a it's it's an emotional event is basically what he's saying it's not because your body needs it so you don't need to snack every two hours like we've been taught so it's you know breaking those kind of those kind of uh what we've been told over and over over we think it's true even though there's no data to support that so realizing for yourself some people their weakness is going to be uh bread like i just can't quit bread well can you quit it every other day for a while then they realize oh i don't even need it anymore you know now i just make my salad i do other things so you know i think we all kind of learn and see learn ourselves and say really do i need to eat this much food i mean mm-hmm. you know if i'm eating something healthy uh, i feel better and 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 the other thing that's interesting and, and i'm sure you've experienced the same all people are doing great on low carb for a while and then all of a sudden they say you know what i'm gonna go have pizza and i'm gonna enjoy the weekend then they the feel creep. like garbage or the carb creep yeah for sure that happens yeah. if you just do a little here and it just adds up that happens for sure and then say well i don't know why i'm gaining weight well we got to look at the carbs and then you realize the carb creeps like oh i didn't realize all these i have eight cookies a day that are low carb well you know i mean geez your body can't handle that much uh so it's figuring that out but some people it's actually a good thing when they binge and then they realize oh my gosh i felt like it's like drinking too much you have a hangover you're like okay that's it i'm not doing that again the same thing with food. Some people, one of my good friends said, man, I had pizza the other night and I was really excited to have it. And he said, I felt like garbage for three days. Not worth it. I'm not having pizza for a long time. I'm done. You know? So when you start realizing your body and how you're feeling, when your energy is better, when your stress is better, all this stuff starts evening out. And I think that's where the low carb keto intermittent fasting, cause when you're not like, I haven't eaten this morning, right? I'm gonna go run on the treadmill and fasted. Right. But I don't feel like, Oh my gosh, I better carb load before I go or my muscles are all going to die. I realize the physiology is our livers. There is a great backup battery to kick some more sugar into the bloodstream. And this will be interesting to you. Rob Seif is this guy. I don't want to be a commercial for the guy, but I just happened to, be- I should interview him. 
Yeah, he's a great, sounds- super great guy. Really fantastic. Uh, and he's a strong-willed. Like, when I first met him, I'm like, I don't know if I like this guy because he's just really like, this is the way it is. Whether you like it or not, this is it. Uh, so he's more, you know, like a iron fist type guy, but he gets it and he understands the physiology because he struggled with this. So he understands is that, look, you can't say – I'm just gonna have a bread, you know, once a day, and then all of a sudden it's five times a day, and then it, it just that carb creep thing. But what he was saying this morning, I said, you know, it's interesting because we all freak out about weight, we freak freak out about sugars. When I started fasting, as a matter of fact, my as a matter of fact, it just happened this week. I fasted on Monday. My sugars Monday morning were 84, right? On Tuesday, my sugar was 105. I'm like, my sugar's 105, and I haven't eaten anything. Well, it's the stress hormones. Your body is reacting. So Rob actually just posted. He's on a continuous glucose monitor. And so his sugars while he was sleeping were 60 all night, 60, 60, 60. He wakes up in the morning, says, oh, man, he looks down 124, right? Hmm. Because his body's preparing him, saying, hey, this guy works out in the morning. Let me free up some more sugar for him because he's going to go work out. He's going to do his thing. They said he had his coffee, kind of just sat there and relaxed. Now it's like, 64 again it came back down so sometimes we see oh my gosh there's 124 i'm stopping this this is crazy well what he was doing was breaking down fat tissue overnight from his liver and putting it back into the bloodstream as sugar right so his yeah. sugars actually went up but his when you look at his three-month sugar average it's going to be perfectly fine because he's running 60 all night while he's sleeping because his body says he's sleeping he doesn't need that much energy right now right yeah. so that, this, these these kind of things we're learning more and more and when I first started, that same thing happened. I, I reached out to Jason Fung. I said, look, I'm fasting. My sugars are going up. And he started laughing. He said, Brian, you know, he had tons more experience. He goes, don't worry about it. Your three-month sugar average is going to drop like crazy, but you're breaking down the fat around your liver. That's a good thing. You should be happy when your sugar is high in the morning because you're not putting more sugar into the system. It has to be coming from somewhere, and you're burning that off with your muscles and what you're doing. So when we start understanding the physiology better, I think more and more doctors are going to be gravitating because they're seeing our success. I mean, with your success, okay. my success, all these other doctors, we're, all, we're not just like you know, uh, tinfoil hat people saying, yeah, look, it just works for me and no one else can do this. We're all doing it in our own way. And, and, you know, as you know, it's sometimes just sitting with that patient and say, look, what's important in your life, right? Uh, are cookies mm-hmm. important to you, right? And you're shooting insulin. What, what, what's, what would you rather do? So sometimes when you reason with people, you can help them. The problem is it just happened to me yesterday, probably for the first time in a year, I had a patient who drove down uh, you know, an hour to see me and beg me to take her as a patient, take her on, talk to her about all this stuff, spend an hour and a half with her, you know, work through lunch. I was fasting, so I didn't care. And uh, she comes back and she's like, yeah, I just can't give up carbs. I'm like, well, you're wasting your time coming down to see me because mm-hmm. all I could do is the standard of care. I'm, I'm putting you on insulin. I'm putting the, your sugars can't run 400. You're going to kill yourself. You're going to die from the disease process. And here's what's coming. I mean, it's not like I'm being mean. I'm just saying, look, here's the reality. And I've seen it. I've seen the, the, the kidney failure. I've seen it. And by the time you want to reverse the ship, it's too late, right? Once you have peripheral neuropathy and you're losing your limbs and you have peripheral vascular disease, it's too late at that point. So what I tell people, it's kind of like you're sailing out into the middle of the ocean and your ship has a bunch of holes in it. I'm not getting on the boat because it's going to sink. I guarantee you it's going to sink because I can see the water going into the hole, right? So Mm -hmm. it's that kind of thing where you sometimes you have to have a tough love with people and also having compassion to say, look, you fell off the wagon. Let's get back on, on board. Let's do this thing, right? Some people never will. I've had people that just, you can explain the science. You could talk about all this stuff and they're just not going to get it. They're not, that pool of the, the cookies and the donuts or whatever it is, it's too much. It's not worth the sacrifice to them to give those things up. Mm-hmm. But they have to realize that long-term effects. And I think that's, that's really, uh, some people are going to get it. Some people aren't. And, 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 and then you say, well, if someone keeps struggling with alcohol, how many chances do you give them, right? When do you give up and say they're a hopeless case? And you hate to do that because some people you think are 
a disaster or get it. And I've had that happen where people just do great and they get it, you know? So, you know, being supportive and caring. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say, you know, like I think we've all had, you know, the person with substance abuse where you've had conversations for years and years with them, watch them and go through recovery programs and still drink or still use. And then one day they stop. Yeah. Right. And it's the same thing. Like the way I approach, you know, patients who aren't interested in the low carb is I talk about it as an option. Like, you know, we have option A, which may mean we can lower some medications or maybe get you off stuff. Or we have option B, which would be the classic approach. And we, you know, we, it just means we need to add more medications and you choose. But at some point, sometimes those people that choose the option B decide to go to option A. Or, or vice versa, right? Like sometimes people try the low carb and can't feel they can't do it. And then you go option B and you just go medication route. Yeah. And I think that's what you learn the individual and, and we're going to have trials in life. One of my patients, and, and I made this pretty public because it was really impressive to me about what we're doing. She came, her husband's a flaky guy, super sweet guy, but he just doesn't listen, does what he wants, eats his cookies and does his stuff. Morbidly obese, but not diabetic. She's diabetic on, uh, she's taking insulin five times a day. Oh, well. And she came in and says, Doc, I've gained 80 pounds. I'm miserable every day. And she was new to me. He begged me to take her as a patient. I said, okay, I'll take her, but yeah, I don't know how much I'm going to accomplish her. So she, she's taking tons of insulin. She goes, I'm miserable. I have peripheral neuropathy. My feet burn. I can't sleep at night. She's miserable on tons of gabapentin and amputation of toes, all this stuff. And her sugars are out of control on insulin. And, and she said, is there any chance I could ever come off insulin? I said, well, are you like your husband? Because if so, ain't going to happen, right? And if you do want to, it's going to be a lot of work on your part. And it's going to be all you, not me. I'll, I'll give you the education, but it's going to be you. Anyways, at the same time, she wanted to get into a study at a major university because uh, they, they're doing a study with a new diabetes drug. And she said, you know, they'll cover all my cholesterol medicines, blood pressure, everything if I get into the study. I said, yeah, let's apply for it. She applied, got in. So in the next three months, she comes off every drop of insulin, loses 75 or 80 pounds. She's feeling great. Energy's great. Off insulin. Blood pressure is normalized. Peripheral neuropathy better. Goes to the experts and they say, oh, you know, we're looking at your numbers. Your A1C is in the five range is really good, but you know, you're not eating enough carbs. So we're going to put you on 50 grams of carbs with each meal. And then we're going to shoot up insulin for, to get those sugars down. And I said, and so she sent me a letter. I have to sit on the corner of my desk because I show people. And I said, well, that doesn't make any sense. It's like, that's like saying you just came off alcohol. Now we're going to give you a beer with each meal and we're going to give you some antabuse or something. So you don't, yeah. it just doesn't make sense. And I said, well, you know, I, I reached out to her and I said, if you miss carbs that much, then, and she said, no, I thought they're the experts. That's what they told me. I was just going to follow their recommendations because that's, you know, to be in the study. I said, forget this. Tell them to, you know, go pound sand and, and that you're just going to keep doing what you're doing. It's working. You feel great. Your energy's back and you, you turned your boat around. You know, you're doing great. So this same lady, and, and she actually just got interviewed for a, uh, a documentary coming out. She comes off every drop of insulin. She's doing great. Everything's perfect. Husband gets sick, ends up in the hospital. While she's in the, he's in the hospital, she's eating hospital food. She's stressed out, stopping eating fast food, just control. Yeah, she went back to what she knows. And then she came in very despondent and depressed and sad and, you know, very dis disappointed with herself. I said, look, you're just going back. It's just like someone's stressed. They go back and have a few drinks. It's, it, you fell off the wagon. And she said, you know what, doc? I've done it before. I know I can do it again. And she said, I'm coming off insulin. So she will. She'll come back off insulin because she understands. She sees where she's at now. Now mm -hmm. her husband's doing great. She understands what the food did to her and understands the impact. And now she's going to be the greatest advocate because she's, she, she's been there and done this. So it's not a fairy tale where everyone goes on and they, they, you know, they sail off into the sunset and everything's perfect. We're all going to go through life struggles. And that's what we're all learning is 
hey, it's not in a vacuum. You're taking care of doctors who have the highest stress job, that's, you know, some arrogance and, you know, whatever type A personality. And so perfection and, and a lot of it just can't handle, okay, I wasn't perfect this week. Uh, you know, I blew it one time and then they go off the rails for six months because they blew it today instead of saying, okay, I blew it today. You know, they've done studies and some people just, they go out and have pizza and beer one night. The next day they go, okay, I'm back on the wagon. I'm doing this. Other people say, well, it's now it's, it's the third of the month. I'm going to wait till next month and I'm going to really be tough. And then they, they, for the next you know three weeks, they're a disaster. Mm -hmm. And then it's that much harder. And so, so it, it really, what it comes down to is it's depending on that person in front of us. Some people say, look, I'm going to start, I'm just going to cut all bread, pasta, rice. I don't care. I'll deal with it. Let me plan ahead. And, and so what I find is people who are serious and like this lady, she's like, well, what did you tell me? What website should I go to? And her sugars are out of control. It's like, I sat there for an hour and a half and I explained everything to you. I, I wrote it all down. I gave it to you. It's like, you have to be invested in your health. I can't care about your health more than you do. You have all the resources. Now you just got to go look at, you know, dietdoctor.com or listen to your podcast. Listen to, you know, there's so many, there, we have so, all you have to do is Google low carb, whatever, and it's going to pop up 20 recipes, right? I mean, it's so mm -hmm. prevalent now because people are having success. So part of it's being invested in ourselves. And I've given free talks because I think it's really important in the community. And it's surprising to me how many people we explain the physiology, what's happening, how the body works, you know, leptin and ghrelin and, and insulin and, and glucagon, how all these things work. And so many people say, just give me a diet plan. Tell me what to eat. I don't want to know all this stuff. But when you understand what you're doing, it makes it that much better. You know, sometimes understanding the process. Some people say, just tell me I flip the light switch on, the light comes on. I don't need to know the electrical stuff and all that. And I get it. You know, it's overwhelming for some people. But I think when you really, people who really get it and they understand, they say, oh, a light bulb. You, get, you know what I'm talking about. A light bulb goes off and they say, oh, I get it. Sugar's my problem. Duh. Right? Let me mm -hmm. just put sugar and I'll be fine. And then they do great. So, you know, it, it, and some people just say, okay, let's just cut out the white bread for now. Let's cut out potatoes at night. Let's get rid of the rice, have vegetables instead. And then they get it and they start feeling better. And then they, they and when they see the results, they say, oh my goodness, that's all I had to do is give up cereal in the morning and eat eggs. And my, my insulin comes down and I don't need as much. And then it gets, it gets easier from there, right? Like once you start seeing some benefit, then it gets easier to make the other changes that may have felt too hard at the beginning. Yeah, and I think when you see it, and the hard part is, as you know, in the beginning part, your LDL, when you're losing weight, is going to go up. You know, you're going to see your numbers go up, and doctors say, oh my gosh, you're going to die if you keep doing this. But what we're seeing is, at a year, their LDL is coming down below baseline, eating mm -hmm. more fat and less carbohydrates, because carbohydrates can obviously, definitely, triglycerides go up with low carb. I mean, I'm sorry, triglycerides go up with eating a lot of carbs, sorry, I don't you know, cause a, a riot. But um, we see it all the time. People cut out sugar and their triglycerides drop like crazy and they're shocked. They can't believe it. I, go, I have a guy just this week, triglycerides went from like 367 to 67. Wow. In, in just a month or two, right? And it's just incredible when you see those kind of, and it was the carbs. You cut his carbs, he goes, oh my gosh. And I feel better. My energy's up. So when you start seeing that clinic and when people are feeling better, you know, it, generally it, it, it's a thing. I, I, one lady, I'll give you another failure of mine. So far, I think she's going to be fine, but but she's been morbidly obese, fatigued, uh, all this stuff, back pain, you know, all the stuff that comes with being metabolically sick. And so I saw her and she said, oh my gosh, I did low carb for a month. She said, my back pain went away, my knees felt better, my sugars normalized, my blood pressure came down, my anxiety got better, I wasn't sweating all the time. And I said, so what happened? She said, I only lost five pounds, so I stopped doing it. I was like, it's not just about the weight, you were feeling great and everything got better and you're telling me all these things that benefit and you stopped. She says, it's just too hard to give up sugar, right? And that's, that's what the real, example. 
that's really what the problem was that you can't give up sugar, which is pro-inflammatory causing your joint pains, your stuff and your anxiety, your mood gets worse. You're feeling better, but you go back because you only, because you want to lose 30 pounds that first month. So I think I tell people, ride it out, ride the storm, you know, keep going, introduce exercise. If you have to, you know, other things that are going to help you because the importance of, you know, your podcast, I just listened to that one too on exercise is like, Hey, you're not going to lose a bunch of weight eating terrible food and exercising more. It's not going to happen. But if you're eating great and you're exercising, then that combination is great for a lot of other things, mood stabilization. Mm -hmm. I, I really believe once we stabilize the mood, everything else falls in place. When you're well, not stressed tense and worried and you have the right outlook, things totally. get better, right? Because the mood influences your thoughts and stuff, right? Like like that patient you just described, that, that so many people do that. And I see that all the time in like my obesity medicine uh, patients and other people I work with is, you know, I'm following it, I'm feeling better, but... I'm this scale isn't meeting some predetermined criteria, especially, you know, with all the, all the keto and everything that's on the internet, when people are looking, they see all these huge success stories of people talking about dropping like 30 pounds in a month. And then when they don't do it, they, our brains are so black and white that we assign failure to that. Exactly Instead right. of seeing all that positivity, we go, oh, well, I didn't lose enough. So it's just not working. So I'll yeah. go back. <laughs> and, and so a lot of people, one of my really good friends, the same thing. As a matter of fact, it was funny because, you know, she kept saying, you know, I kept saying, and she's a chiropractor, what a great person, but she just couldn't lose weight. She was just really frustrated. She was, her secretary lost like 48 pounds and she lost like nine or something in, in like a four month period. And I said, look, don't worry, write it out your postmenopausal, this and that. I go, look, but you got to start introducing some exercise to tell your body it's not in shock. And, and so she, anyways, about a month and a half, I forgot about this conversation. She, she uh, texts me and says, oh my gosh, I love you. You're the best. I go, what? She goes, I lost 19 pounds. I said, really? What'd you, she says, because of your podcast. I said, because of my podcast, what was it about it? She said, well, it wasn't actually your podcast. I enjoy listening to it. So I told myself, I'm only going to listen to your podcast when I go for a walk. And I would get into it and I'd keep walking forever because I was enjoying it. She lost 19 pounds doing that. I mean, it's a dumb thing. She didn't have to go run a marathon. She just walked and listened to a podcast, right? So if yeah. people are walking around, listening to our podcast, doing those kind of things and saying, I'm not going to sit on the couch and listen to it. I'll go do something or walk on the treadmill or you know, go for a hike, do whatever. Um, then you benefit. So I think it's that staying the course and not being like, okay, I got to lose because my weight's plateaued for a long time. But my, my, I went and had, you know, uh, DEXA scans and looking at body, body fats going down, muscle mass is going up. So I'm like, okay, I'm getting metabolically healthier. I don't have to be 150 pounds, right? Necessarily. Some people genetically are not just going to drop 40 pounds or 50 pounds. And, you know, and, and we expect that we, it took us 40 or 50 years to put all the weight on, but in two weeks, we're going to lose it all. And that's the problem. We have this, this impatient, you know, and, and I think, yeah. And those things, some people are so stressed, they're weighing themselves every day and get worked up and up. Because I know if I work out, I'll gain four pounds if I work out really hard because I'm putting, yeah. you know, my muscles get inflammation and say, okay, that's not real. In a day or two, that's going to drop. Don't worry about it. But some people, that's their end all be all. And I think once we stop focusing on the scale so much, we do better. Now, it's good to have accountability and, and know where you're at and, and, and be able to look at it that way. But I think when our blood pressure is coming down, we're getting metabolically healthy, healthier. We're, we're doing better. And, and just being able to understand I'm feeling better. My mood's better. I'm less stressed. You're less likely to stress eat when your stress level is better. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's all that stuff. So, you know, realizing how do you deal with stress and, you know, just a quick caveat to that addiction one. I didn't realize this, but Tro brought it up and, and Rob Sivis, uh, uh, who's a bariatric surgeon said the same thing. Look, People after gastric bypass, at five years, they have a 90% divorce rate when you look at the statistics. 
a lot of, of I, can't, I don't know the statistics, but somewhere in the range of 60 to 75% of people gain their weight back at five years. They'll lose mm-hmm. it initially and they gain it back because you haven't fixed the underlying problem that got you to be 400 pounds in the first place. Mm-hmm. Uh, alcohol addiction goes up, drug addiction, pornography, shopping, all it these- just get swapped. They get swapped because now you're taking away the drug of choice. You can't just eat a cheeseburger when you're upset or you can't go eat a, a gallon of ice cream. Now what? Your stomach's the size of a, a nickel or something, right? I mean, it's tiny. So you can't eat that. Now what do you do? I'm going to have a drink. I'm going to have a smoke. I'm going to you know, do other things. Mm-hmm. So if you realize, okay, let me get my carbs of that, that sugar addiction under control. Now I can, now I don't, I'm not a, a victim of that anymore, uh, you know, being abused by, uh, you know, being a prisoner. Yeah. And I, you know, I see it the other way too. Like I, I see people who've previously had other addictions and when that got under control, like when the alcoholism was treated, then the, um, sugar addiction and the binge eating started or, or became more prominent. Um, and I think, I think the biggest thing there is recognizing that that's what it is, right? If you never label that as a sugar addiction, then it just feels like just, like something right like you don't recognize the risks of other stuff that can go along like if you stop eating on a sugar addiction but don't actually acknowledge that that's what it was then now the alcohol and stuff sneaks in so easy or the shopping or the gambling or yeah and i think i think that's where you you have to and and i've seen the opposite true also people get their sugars under control now all these other addictions fall by the wayside right because they're feeling good and they're not feeling stressed anxious because the reality is that's why it was such a stretch when well, I was thinking, Tro, it's crazy even talking about pornography thing. But for this guy, that was his stress relief. He had a hard day at work. That was his thing. It wasn't about the sex part of it. It was about the stress relief. So he said, look, I'm not here to this stuff. If I, you know, wash my car every time I'm stressed out and that's my coping mechanism, I wear all the car, the paint off my car, right? It's, it's saying, look, how do I deal with my stress? Let's under, look at the underlying stress. Because, you know, most alcoholics aren't because they just love the taste of alcohol. It's because they're stressed, depressed, not happy with life. And that makes them feel better for a short period of time. Totally. So it's the same thing with food. It's the same with any addiction. I think we're going to learn. I think this is a huge area uh, where low-carb, intermittent fasting, um, even carnivore diet is going to people, we're going to learn a lot about why people stabilize mood. That's why people are so passionate on that side. When they, when, when someone goes carnivore, they, their addiction stuff gets better and they think, okay, there's the cure for everyone. Maybe it's just the cure for that person, not everyone on the face of the planet. Right. So, you know, it just depends what works for you. And I think what I am seeing is a lot of people, once they go low carb, they say, you know, I'm not even craving stuff anymore. I'm not, it's not like I'm all day tempted by that donut sitting there. For me, I know for sure. I walk by donuts all the time. I go, okay, no draw to me. It's not like I'm not going to use willpower and white knuckle it. You say, I just really don't want it. And people can't imagine that. They say, how can you not want a donut? It's crazy. But you just don't because you realize that's not fueling your body, right? And you feel bad and you gain weight. So when you start thinking that way, like your podcast was great talking about that, where it's understanding you're doing it for you. It's not the sacrifice you're making. You're saying, look, it's not a sacrifice when I know I'm doing better. It's not a sacrifice when you go to the gym because you know you're making your body stronger. And everyone who leaves the gym is happy they went that day, right? Mm-hmm. Going there and they think, oh, I got too much stuff to do. I'm too busy. I'm too stressed. But when you go, you feel great. People are like, man, I feel so good. I should do this all the time, right? And when I cut my carbs, I feel so great. I should do it all the time. But then you get the temptations that are there because we're not living in a vacuum. We're not a, a science experiment. We have real life. And that's what us frontline practitioners bring. We're not sitting, you know, Tro and I talk about the ivory towers. You know, people say, well, we didn't research and this should do that, act this way. Well, it doesn't in reality work that way. If you're stressed and you're going through a lot of stress, you can't just say, I'm, I'm never going to have, you know, whatever your, your comfort food is again, because 
you can't control it when it's available people are gonna it's just like saying the same thing with alcohol people are gonna turn to that when they're stressed that's their coping mechanism that's what they're gonna go back to and that's why people have a problem now if food's your problem it doesn't mean that necessarily you're gonna start being an alcoholic when you stop eating carbs right uh, but we're seeing a lot of people when they start i think that we're, we're looking at the, we're not looking at the underlying pathology. We're looking at symptomatology a lot of times, right? Because mm-hmm. why are you eating so much? It's not, you know, it, it's, it's emotional. It's an addiction. You, you know, there's so many things to that. Um, why is it when I'm sitting on the weekend, I'm hungrier all the time when I'm at work really busy, I don't think about food, right? It's mm-hmm. where our mind goes. You see a commercial that reminds you that, I mean, this, they, they're not paying for all these ads just to be, uh, you know, because they like doing ads, they do because they know they're going to make money off that. Because you're going to see a hamburger and say, oh, I'm going to go get some French fries. It's not even in your head. And people say, oh, I'm going to go get that because they saw that commercial that made it look so great. Um, so totally. it's all that. There's so much marketing. We, you know, I think we even talked about that with, with sugary cereals. When we were all growing up, that was our thing. Now they're making adult versions of, of, of snacks that have you know whatever that favorite cereal that you remember in your good old days. And people say, well, that, oh, I like that character. So I'm going to go eat this and it's going to make me feel better. Just like when I was a kid and I didn't have any responsibilities. Right. So mm-hmm. it's not going to take your responsibilities away, you know, playing video games or whatever we turn to that, you know, it just came out that that's an addiction. Now we already kind of knew that, you know, that, that kids start playing video games and they could be there for 18 hours a day playing video games without sleeping or eating. Right. Cause that's their, that's their addiction. So I think the more we're learning, I think we're, we're at a really exciting time for medicine because we're all learning from each other. And I think if we're humble, and say, you know, this isn't working for my patients. Let me try this. Let me try a little bit more intermittent fasting. Let me try less intermittent fasting. Let's try more working out. Let's try less working out. I've had people get their sugars under control all this stuff by cutting back on their exercise, right? Because if you're radical and you exercise like crazy, that's a stress response. So if you're hey, running, cortisol. some of those people are gaining a lot of weight, believe it or not, because their stress response and they're spiking up all their stress hormones. So cutting back a little bit and doing a, a shorter workout that's more intense, maybe uh, they do better. So we're learning. I think these continuous glucose monitors are kind of cool because you start realizing, oh, you know, uh, I'm doing better. My body's busy. I mean, you understand what's happening. You say, oh, that's why my sugars are going up. You know, yeah. so I think we're all we're in a learning stage right now. So all of us together doing what you're doing, we're doing what we're doing. More and more doctors are saying, OK, let me try it for a month and see what happens. I'll try it on myself first. And then yeah. they're, they're convinced. Right. So it's a growing I want to say growing body, but it is. It's a growing body of people who are understanding, wow, I'm doing better on this. It's not a fad diet that's just going to come and go. It's really saying, look, if we get rid of the processed stuff, if we eat real food, we're going to do better. You know, I think that's the other thing too, is like, you know, people say, well, how do you read the labels? Like, you know, I really don't read the labels because I eat real food. I'm not eating stuff that has a label that I have to look at, you know, like some of the supplements are giving me seniors. You look at the label. I tell people, look at the label. Like a lady yesterday said, she said, I I drink insure like three times a day. I said, look at the label right? Yeah. And you see how much stuff's in it. You think, oh my gosh, and this is a health food for you, right? Eat an avocado if you're trying to gain weight. You know, eat, There's other stuff that you could do that's real food that's not produced in a lab that you're going to do better. So I think the more we start learning, um, the better off we're all going to be, you know, and the easier our job as doctors becomes because, you know, as someone corrected me not too long ago, I said, we have a major shortage of doctors. And, and this doctor said, no, we have an oversupply of sick people. Huh. Right? Meaning if people are healthier, my, my low carb and my people who, are, who get it, they come in and we socialize. I'm like, nothing's wrong. Your knees don't hurt. No, back doesn't hurt. No, mood's stable. Yeah. Okay. What are we talking about? How are the kids? How's <laughs> we have time to talk about stuff because we're not saying, oh, we need to add four more medicines. Here's the side effects, right? We're talking about taking them off meds. So I think as time goes, it's, it's a front heavy for us providers because it takes a long time to educate someone and we don't get paid for that, as you know, but we get paid for, you know, basically keeping the patients healthy. 
right? Not, not managing sickness, but preventing illness. Mm -hmm. That's what us primary care, that's what we're called to do. And if we can prevent it, then, then that's our calling. And over time, those people, you, it's a front end investment. What I'm saying is over time, those people get easier and easier if they get it right, because they come in and they're feeling great. And they're, they're, you know, they're saying, doc, do you see my weight? Look at my weight. Did you see my sugars? Right. Look at my blood pressure. It's normal. Can, can I stop my medicine? Yeah, let's get you off meds. Let's, let's stop. And it's great. It's fun. And I enjoy that, that game. Part. Those are the best visits. Yeah, you love it too. Yeah. I mean, and then that, that's yeah. physician burnout. That's the cure is having your patients actually getting better. That's what Dr. Unwin talks about. All these doctors are saying, look, my patients are getting better. How can I not talk to them about that? Right. So medicine's going to change. And, and really, it's going to be finances, right? The insurance companies, if we save them enough money, like Vertex Clinic's doing, look at their, their success rate with diabetes. It's pretty astounding by changing the model of caring for people, right? Mm -hmm. Costs more upfront, but over time, it's not only that, you're taking people off meds, you're decreasing dialysis, you're decreasing blindness, you're, all these costs to our system, if we can prevent it, uh, it saves the system. It saves that individual, but the bottom line is it saves the system over time. You look at the cost of insulin, you look at the cost of these diabetes meds, obviously industry is not going to be excited about that, but the insurance companies at some point, it's about the bottom line. They're going to look and say, wait, they're taking people off meds. They're doing better. They're not having all these, these horrible consequences, you know, and, and um, let's start pumping money into this because we know it's, it's helpful. And I think that's what's coming in medicine. I really do. I think we've had enough, you know, people are sick of being sick and they're sick of, of seeing everyone sick around them. And they're, you know, the, you know, you can't get on a plane and, and you know, uh, fasten your seatbelt anymore. At some point we have to say, okay, I can't just keep pumping drugs. That's not going to fix my problem. And, and I think mm -hmm. lifestyle medicine, you know, the whole looking at the whole picture, not just saying, let's get your sugars under control. It's not just about that. It's about the whole organism, not just that one system. Absolutely. So I think, you know, what you're doing, that's why I'm excited about what you're doing. And, and your podcasts are too short. I think we ramble for a long time this time, but you know, I'm like, Oh, it's over already. Shoot. I'm not at work. Let me put on the next one. So, you know, <laughs> I, I'm really enjoying what you're doing and, and oh, it's awesome. exciting that, that we all kind of, you have the same heart. It's not about just saying, let me see how many people I can get following me on Twitter. It's not, it's about saying, look, how many people can we get to impact others? And we, as we lift each other up, we help more and more people and then more and more doctors. We tell people, take that podcast back to your doctor, let them listen. If they think we're nuts, have them reach out to us and we'll talk to them. Right. Yeah. Because just great. And so where can people find you? Like, you know, I have, uh, obviously low carb MD podcasts, you know, yeah. I do that with Tro Collision, who, who's been a good friend of mine. Um, uh, in my practice, I'm actually not accepting new patients right now. I do some consulting on the side cause I enjoy, I'm doing more of what you're doing, life coaching stuff. And that's on uh, low carb advocate. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I don't even know. I never look at my website. It's low carb advisor, <laughs> low carb advisor, Dot com and so on there i do uh you know just help people get on track help them with their their docs and uh you know i really want to intervene with patients and their doctors and say look let me help your doctor to understand right let's work together and i don't want to take people's patients away i want to be able to say look the doctor doesn't understand the importance of a fasting insulin level or doesn't understand and i didn't know it two years ago so i want the more people we help and not say okay this is my little thing that's that's the thing that's impressed me in this community so many people reached out to me or helped me or I had a question. They go, hey, Brian, here's how it works. They didn't say, well, this is what I'm doing. This is my own thing. I want all these patients. They know they can't do it all on their own. We all know mm -hmm. that. We need yeah. what you're doing with doctors. The more pe doctors you're treating, the more people, they're going to go and help their patients. How many, how many people can you help by helping that one person, right? Mm -hmm. Pretty, pretty impactful. Well, there's a saying in the, uh, there's a Canadian Facebook group of women physicians and they, they talk, one doc, 10,000 lives, I think is, the math they've come up with, like, you know, yeah. the, the fallout that happens. 
Yeah, probably because you see that. As a matter of fact, I gave a little talk in San Diego and I thought, you know, it was like a five week thing and it went, you know, Brett Schur and I and a couple, and I never really, I didn't think about it. I did the talk and it was at a church, they hosted it. And so anyways, two years later, a buddy of my cousin goes, and he's up in the, he's, he's one of the pastors. He said, Brian, do you know, as a church, we've lost over 2000 pounds. Wow. You're kidding me, right? You're kidding me. He goes, no, I mean, it's incredible. He goes, this guy, this guy. And then he talked to his wife and he said, out of that little talk you guys gave over 2000 pounds that they know of offhand. I'm like, wow, that's pretty, that's pretty amazing when you think about that. Right. Yeah. I mean, that's a lot of lives, a lot of people, because it wasn't just us. It was those guys having success. And then they go into like what you're saying, those doctors help their patients, their patients go tell people. And then it does grow. I think you're right. I think for every person you're helping, it's like going to be about 10,000 people at least, you know, because, and then that turns the tide because what's what we've talked about, there's new low carb guidelines that are saying, let's standardize this. So people understand you can't Mm -hmm. do crazy stuff. You got to monitor electrolytes. You got to look at these things and, and safely taking people off meds. Cause the last thing you want to do is have people doing crazy stuff. That's outside the standard of care. Then they say, Oh, look, low carbs killing people. Well, it's because that person did crazy stuff. Right. Right. But when you do it, the standard of care and you say, look, let's kind of, make it so that we all kind of understand what's happening. And then it becomes the standard of care rather than throwing everyone on insulin first line. You say, okay, let's try lifestyle and see, really try it, not just mention it. Let's mm-hmm. really try and say, look, you know, for me, if I can tell my patient, look, I've had 13 people come off insulin in the last two years. Before that, I've had zero. Do you want to go that route or do you want to go the old fashioned route? And we'll just say eat healthy whole wheat, have cereal every morning and a bunch of sugar. And then we'll put you on insulin to cover those sugars. Right. When you explain it to them and they understand, they say, oh, my gosh. Yeah. I didn't know there was sugar in this. I didn't know rice had so much sugar. Right. Dr. Unwin's drafts. I had about. I love his pictures. Yeah. His pictures are unbelievable because you go, rice has that much sugar. It's not sweet. Well, it has sugar in it. So it breaks down. It it starts. Right. Breaks down to sugar. So, you know, the more we're educating people, when people get it, they're like, can I have a copy? Can I have a copy for my son? And then it gets out there. And that's all because Dr. Unwin did what he did and now we could do what we do so you know us just learning from each other and saying hey brian what's your experience with it doesn't work this works right and so i think it's that whole we're all have our little part and we each come up with with the little thing and and you know at some point there's gonna be people people who come after us who have way more impact way more influence but they learn from us you know Mm -hmm. so so and i'm i respect all those people who who you know went through uh a lot of personal sacrifice a lot of uh you know just being called quacks and crazy stuff and we kind of joke about it because it's like you know what when people don't understand they've always said that about people and all these great advancements in medicines came because someone said look this is true the germ theory you know they thought he was nuts Mm -hmm. the guy went crazy because no one believed him and they thought he was nuts and they realized oh the guy was right after he kills himself or dies you know i mean and h pylori right yeah h pylori all these things all these things in medicine i mean this whole this whole crazy you know keto diet keeping people from having seizures and i personally met people and talked to them that their life changed and they lost 200 pounds. One of the, we have a podcast on that. So mm-hmm. the more you see this, you know, this is real life. These are real people. Not, maybe not everyone benefits. Maybe she's the only person who did, but when you see that impact and saying, look, they, her doctors were going to take her to, and do brain surgery and take out her part of her temporal lobe rather than saying, let's try a diet first and see. So the more doctors who say, wow, that patient really benefit. I'll try it for a month on someone and see if it works. If it doesn't stop it and go do something else. Mm-hmm. If it does, then you save that person from a brain surge right? How much yeah. does that cost the system? So as those kind of oh, things, not to mention morbidity, right? Like morbidity, and plus if she has a stroke on the table and you know, mm-hmm. all these kind of things. So we said, well, you know, someone's morbidly obese, let's just give them a gastric bypass. Well, there's, there's risk. People die on the table doing that. They're a high risk population, right? Mm-hmm. So when you start saying, well, can we do it a different way? Right. And, and, and can we help those people? Even if they go low carb and lose 80 pounds before surgery, their, their surgical risk goes way down. 
right? And I would argue their risk, like uh, the risk of the regain is lower, right? That whole, um, because I have lots of patients too that have had the bariatric surgery and have regained because the reason why the weight was there in the first place was never addressed. Yeah. And, and, and also, you know, the depression rate after uh, you think, gosh, after gastric bypass, they should be stoked, right? You're losing mm-hmm. weight. Your life's going to get better, but the depression rate goes up. Suicide goes up. Well, your uh, entire life changes, right? Like if you weren't on board with things like intermittent fasting and eating smaller amounts, it's like a enforced thing. Like, like you're all of a sudden have all these restrictions enforced on you because of the surgery. Exactly right. Yeah. You take someone's drugs away when they're an addict is really tough, but if you can wean them off the drugs, you know, I mean, that's, that's what we're Mm -hmm. talking about is being saying why people don't get to be 400 pounds just because they like the taste of food, right? There's so much more to this. And we've been so wrong this whole time. Oh, just exercise more and eat less, you know, and if you're 400 pounds, that's not that easy to do. And we have to have Mm -hmm. compassion and understand there's an addiction component. There's life component. There's a self-medication component. There's a, cultural component where everyone gets together and that's how you celebrate. If you don't eat, you're not celebrating. And so I think we're all learning and people in their families are realizing, you know, what, one of my favorite was a, a Italian guy. He, he changed his whole life. He lost 50 pounds, his whole family being in an Italian community. They thought he said the first night he said, I'm not going to have pasta. And everyone, he said the whole house went quiet. You know, all the <laughs> pans were clinging and the whole house went quiet. Everyone looked at us like, what do you mean you're not having pasta? Well, I'm, I, you know, so he said, I had to lie to my family, told them I have diabetes because they all have diabetes. So I said, I have diabetes, so I can't eat that. My doctor said to take a month off. So for a month, I'm not going to eat pasta or bread. And they go, oh, that's crazy. Who's this doctor? So anyways, the guy loses 50 pounds and his grandpa pulls him aside and says, hey, uh, how's everything at home? Have you, have you been checked for cancer? They're all worried because no one sees people lose weight. So it's so weird. Yeah. But now... He says, I'm not going to sit and judge people and say, don't eat the pasta, don't eat the stuff. He goes, but this is what I'm doing. He says, I'm not going to go ruin everyone's meal. But the point was, and this is a great take home for everyone was, look, uh, it's about being together. It's not about who eats the most pasta, right? It's about making the food together and ha- laughing yeah. and telling stories about childhood or all those things. It's not about eating all the food. It's about, and now he says his family's converting over and they're saying, oh, hey, look, I made a keto uh, lasagna. I made this. And they're, and they're enjoying their time together and they're, they're changing traditions saying, look, you don't have to put tons of breadcrumbs in the, in the meatballs. I like it this way and I don't need the carbs. I'll make my own and bring it. No problem. So when you start doing that, then, then now his family's benefiting health-wise because he stood up and said, look, I know you guys think I'm crazy, but you know, the grandpa said, I'm concerned about you. He said, did you see on Christmas, I was out playing with the kids' soccer in the front yard. Everyone else is holding their stomach on the, on the couch, right? They can't move. And I'm having a great time, and, I, and the kids love it, right? I'm rolling around on the floor. I'm doing this stuff because I feel great, and I want the same for you guys, right? I, I don't mm-hmm. want to – so it, it's that thing when, when you stand up, and I've had you know Larry Diamond. I, he's a great guy to have on, too, uh, with the IDM program. He's lost a ton of weight, and he uh, changed his life. And his wife said, oh, he's just going to do this for a month. I'm not going to do it. And he did it on his own, and he had unbelievable – and he's lost, like, you know, tons of weight, like 200 pounds or something ridiculous like that changed his life. His daughter's doing great. They're going hiking. The whole family dynamic changed because he stood up and said, okay, I'll be the only one to do it. Right. Because mm-hmm. everyone has an excuse. I guess, well, my wife's not supporting me, so I'm not doing it. Right. Do you want it bad enough? Right. If you run a marathon, you're running on your own. It's not like someone has to get you up in the morning to go. You, you do that and people are motivated to do those things. So it's that kind of stuff when you start realizing, oh, I'll just step up and I'll just get rid of my bread for a while and I'll just get rid of, see if I die without pizza for a week. Right. I mean, you're not going to die from pizza deficiency syndrome or something. So I think when people do it, then they get the confidence to say, that wasn't that hard. If I can give up pizza, maybe I'll give up bread for a month and see what happens. Right. Or whatever. Some people, like I said, some people are just going to jump on and go, okay, that's it. Cutting all carbs to zero. Other people say, well, let me get from 500 carbs down to 200 carbs and see how I do. And then they, they're yeah. able to go 
200 to 100 over time. So again, it's, it's just like everything we do is individualized. Some people are going to re respond great to an antidepressant. You put the next person on that same one and they do terrible, right? So you kind of figure out, okay, this kind of person seems to do better with this. But I haven't seen anyone who went low carb that stuck to it that wasn't feeling great. They're doing better in time, right? Which is huge. Yeah. yeah so huge. we should probably, uh, I was going to say we should probably wrap up, but um, any other last little minute pearls? Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah. I don't want to keep you too much. And thank you everyone for sticking with us because uh, she'll probably edit out half my stuff. So we'll get it down to like 15 <laughs> minutes or so, but you know, there, there's so many pearls. And I think really for people, I think the advice is for me, uh, uh, stay the course. Don't freak out. Don't worry about every pound. Don't worry about it. If you're doing the right thing, it's going to pay off in time. Um, and, and I think trusting yourself, preparing, saying, look, if I know I struggle at work, let me barbecue on Sunday afternoon. And, and that's what I do now. I barbecue and I have a bunch of steak and chicken and fish or whatever. I have vegetables if I'm going to have that. Have Prepare for the week. And so you're not stuck in a situation where everyone's eating donuts. Like, oh, I don't have anything. I'm hungry. I'm going to eat a donut, right? If you say, well, instead of having a donut, I make my own beef jerky. I'll have a piece of beef jerky, right? And a low-carb beef jerky if I feel like that. Or, you know, just being prepared, prepared and, and being able to realize that you don't have to be an evangelist. You don't have to announce to everyone and tell them what you're doing. And so people freak out, just say, Oh, I'm just kind of cutting back on my bread. My sugar's a little high, whatever. You don't have to be like, make a huge point that you're not eating lunch when everyone else, if you're fasting that day or whatever, people generally don't care. And they're usually happier when they can get more French fries because you're not eating them. Right? They're like, okay, great. Don't eat them. I'll have them. So, so I think just staying the course and you know, obviously reaching out and listening to as many people as you can. It's confusing mm -hmm. out there and we're all going to give different messages to some degree, but I think, you know, just saying, ah, this makes sense. This works for me. I'm going to, I'm going to take this little nugget. That's how I did it for myself. I started learning. Oh, I like what Jason's saying about this. I like what, what Tim Noakes is saying here. I love this. And you start saying, does this work for me? And it does. And you stick with it and you do it. Right. And, and so I think. Which is fantastic. Yeah. The big thing is, look, if you if you if it's stressful for you, say, look, let me cut up. When I say low hanging fruit, I I do mean fruit too. For a lot of people, they don't realize if they're eating mangoes and bananas all day, how much carbohydrate they're taking in, and they're mixing up in shakes. So when you start realizing, okay, let me just get rid of those mango shakes in the morning, and I'll I'll have eggs instead, or I'll, maybe I'll skip breakfast. I'm not, not not hungry. Do what works for you, and listen to your body. If your body's telling you you're starving, and it's like you know, it's funny. I tell people that I, one of my patients gave me a bunch of tuna fish cans that I have sitting in my office, and so. It's like, am I hungry enough to just tune out of the can? No, not really. But if I had barbecued ribs, I'd eat them all, right? So yeah. it's one of those things when you realize, am I eating because I'm hungry or just because I'm stressed or I had a hard day or my, my you know, husband's being mean to me, whatever. So I think just realizing, am I really hungry? Am I not hungry? And the longer you can go um, with cutting out the processed stuff, the better off you do. The studies are showing that. We have data now showing that. Uh, Dr. Hall's study showing that that if you eat less processed food, you do better right? from a calorie standpoint. So anyways, I, I think it's those things and, and staying the course, I think is the main thing and not getting frustrated because someone else lost 30 pounds and you only lost six. I Stay think that's huge. And, and you will be there. And once you get rid of that fat around your liver, your body gets more, more uh, insulin sensitive. Then over time, guess what? It's the only front, the only front loaded diet that I know of is where you can cut your carbohydrates drastically you get more insulin sensitive and people come back all the time saying, man, I had a bunch of carbs last weekend. My sugars didn't do anything crazy and I didn't gain any weight. Well, cause you're insulin sensitive now, but if you keep doing that, you're going to gain all your weight back, right? You're mm -hmm. going to go back to the same road. So it's one of those things that it works if we do it. So just do it. <laughs> so, awesome. but Hey, thank you so much for having me on. It's an honor. Yeah. And I, I, I love what you're doing and I'm really enjoying what your, your, your podcast and what you're doing to help. Oh, thanks. That's awesome. Because that's the key, bringing the docs together, letting them help their patients and we step back and let them do their thing.
Yeah. And, you know, thanks so much for uh, coming on and same thing. Like I love listening to all the different experts that you bring in and on your podcast and being able to learn from them. Uh, yeah, it's great. we're on a learning. We're on a learning, and we may change our course down the road. I think that's what we have to do as docs is say, okay, what we're doing is not working. Let's change the course. So, thank you very much. Keep up the great work. Thanks. All right, that was fantastic. That did go a bit longer than what we usually do, so I'll keep this bit short. Just wanted to remind you again about the summer coaching program. So, if you're tired of summers passing you by and not really remembering what you did or feeling like you actually had a chance to have fun. Uh, this program is for you. We're going to focus on taking care of yourself. That includes healthy eating and managing your weight, if that's important to you, but also stress management, time management, and self-care. It's six weeks. It's a group program where you get to interact with like-minded colleagues, which will be super fun. Registration is limited till the end of this week. So if you're interested, you need to go over and get registered. WeightSolutionsForPhysicians.ca forward slash summer. Thank you so much for listening, guys. Have a fantastic week. We'll talk to you later.